Different symbols can mean different things to different people. Symbology is a tremendous thing, a series of colours, words or images portrayed in a very specific order can evoke great emotions in us all, both positive and negative. Individually, a mix of colours rarely means anything. But what happens when you organise the colours in a specific fashion that it becomes the centre of an ideology, a cause or a reason for being? What if you add a design to these colours? Does it begin to mean more as only you and your people can truly understand what this symbol means and only you understand the emotions this design can evoke? What if the symbol you believed best displayed who you are and demonstrated everything you believed in was deemed illegal or something which made you a lesser person? In 1906, a man from Wicklow showed the world, above all else, the symbol he believed in was far more important than self-glory and he wanted the whole world to know about it. This is his story. In October 1872, in a town near the UK's Lake District called Millen, a man was born to Irish parents. His name was Peter O'Connor. At a young age, his parents took him back to their homeland and they moved to Wicklow. Here he joined the newly formed Gaelic Athletics Association, or GAA if you prefer, a group dedicated to the protection of all things Irish and a group who would be part of the foundation of the Irish Rebellion. Whilst playing a series of different sports, he quickly found he was born to be an athlete. Any sport he turned his hand to, he quickly became a champion in it. The GAA was a breeding ground for nationalists and Peter soon found the seeds of nationalism begin to take root in his soul and he quickly became a firm believer in the idea of Irish freedom. During his early sporting life, Peter found he had a very unique ability. Something which not a lot of the other boys or young men could do. He could leap further than anyone. Whether it was the long jump, the high jump or the hop, step and jump, now called the triple jump, he could beat absolutely anyone and by a distance. He began to jump competitively and over a 10 year period he dominated the sport across the British Isles. He moved onto the world stage where he was seen as a level far above everyone else. He was untouchable by anyone else trying to compete with him. In 1900 he qualified to represent Britain in the Olympic Games and was deemed their best chance of winning a medal. He rejected the invitation stating he could not represent a nation which was not his own. This baffled the British Olympic Committee and the British establishment as Ireland was part of Britain at the time 
and they did not really consider Ireland to be anything other than a province. They argued that he was British and would have to represent them. He continued to reject their advances and as a result his Olympic position was given to another athlete. Earlier in 1900 he had set the world record for the long jump. This was scratched off the records however as Ireland did not have an official sporting body and he refused to have it registered under anyone else's. In 1901 he went on to beat himself and set the world record again. This was recognised due to the Irish Amateur Athletic Association having been set up to manage the Irish records and was a competitor of the GAA. Their members however would only qualify for British teams as they were really set up to feed Irish athletes into the British teams. This world record stood for 20 years, a length for a world record only beaten by Jesse Owens 25 years, Bob Beeman 23 years and the current record held by Mike Powell. It remained an Irish record for 89 years. Peter continued to compete, always registering for events as Irish, although this was often changed to British by event organisers when they saw his affiliation with the Irish Amateur Athletics Association. He continued to dominate the sport and in 1904 he once again qualified for the Olympics. Again under tremendous pressure from the British team, he again rejected the opportunity to go to the Olympics if not representing Ireland as his nation. It was when discussing the reasons why, he stated he could not stand for a medal under any flag other than his own. He would not stand under the flag which represented the oppression of his people. The Irish flag has had a strange history. The one we stand under today with its famed green, white and gold was first flown in 1848. However, it was not legally the Irish flag until 1922. In 1848 the flag was gifted to the Irish by a small group of French women who were sympathetic with the Irish cause for freedom. The symbology of the colours is based on the ideals of the United Irishmen, a group of freedom fighters who were led by Protestants such as Wolfe Tone in order to liberate the Irish Catholics from their oppression and to create an equal and fair Ireland for all. The green represents the Catholic Irish green as it was the Catholic Church's colours. The orange represents the Protestant Irish, orange after William of Orange, the man who the Orange Order is named after. The white is to symbolise the peace which must exist between the two. It was not until the 1916 Rising when this flag was first flown as the Irish flag as Garoda Sullivan under gunfire raised it high above the GPO. 
When Ireland achieved its freedom in 1922, the state adopted it as the official flag. During the Troubles, the flag became a confusing issue as it became the official flag of the IRA and people weren't sure how to feel about it and were almost embarrassed to fly it, even at sporting events. Before this flag though, the Irish have stood under a wide range of flags which have all meant different things. The green of the Irish first appeared on a flag when Owen Roe O'Neill rode into battle with the green flag with a gold harp and a head of the god Hibernia on it. Before the green appeared, the Irish used to stand under a flag of blue and a gold harp on it. The blue was known as St. Patrick's Blue and the harp was symbolic of Brian Boru the last great High King of Ireland who defeated the Vikings. The harp itself can still be seen on display in the Book of Kells Museum in Dublin today. Irish Americans in the mid-1800s, many of whom had left Ireland during the famine, would stand with pride under a green flag with a harp and the words Aaron Gabra on it. The words meaning Ireland forever. This was a flag seen to represent Irish across the world. The message was for those who had left home never to return again, that they would hold the country close to their hearts forevermore. For those in Ireland, it represented the daily struggle they fought against in order to be Irish whilst under the rule of a different state looking to abolish them from their own land. Two years after his second Olympic rejection, a unique opportunity presented itself to Peter and the other Irish Republican athletes who found themselves with similar issues at international level. There was to be a special Olympics held in Athens, the 1906 Olympic Games, sometimes referred to as the 1906 Intercalated Games. These games were organised as a way of holding major sporting events in Athens, the home of the Olympics, as a way of acknowledging the city's importance in world sports. It was seen as a secondary Olympic Games, a sort of second tier level of the sports, although with the same calibre of athletes. It was here that Peter was offered a once in a lifetime opportunity to represent Ireland, his country, on the world stage. A great pride consumed Peter. He would finally be able to stand under his flag, sing his anthem, wear his colours and show the world where he came from. Two other Irish athletes were also given this honour. Con Leahy and John Daly. The three men were lauded as heroes in Ireland. They gave the nation hope, raised the heads of the people, and they were going to show the world what their small nation was capable of. Peter himself was the real superstar of the occasion. The world record holder was going to be the hero of the event. The men were given an Irish uniform. 
a green blazer, a cap with a gold shamrock and their flag. A large green banner with a golden harp and the words Éireann Gobra written on it. This was recognised as the Irish flag by the Irish Republicans at the time. This was everything they had dreamed of. Parades and other events were organised for the three men before they left. The people were so proud of their three boys. On registration day, when Peter, Con and John arrived to sign in as competitors, they arrived head to toe in their green Irish uniforms, chests out and proud as punch. Things quickly soured as when they looked for their names under the Irish entries, they found that there were no Irish entries. While they were travelling, the rules surrounding their participation had changed and as they were GAA members, they were not recognised as being part of an Olympic committee. They did, however, find their names listed as British athletes. They had effectively been tricked by the authorities to finally represent Britain in a sporting event. Heartbroken and financially wounded due to the cost of getting to Athens, they discussed it and decided they would on this occasion compete under British colours. The Irish people back home were devastated. Peter went on to have further issues. The manager of the American long jump team was also the judge for the long jump competition. The only real competition for Peter was the American jumper whose record Peter had broken. He knew however that the odds were against him. Peter protested to the organising committee but was overruled. Throughout the remainder of the competition, he continued to protest against the decision to allow the American to judge. In a rare instance, the distances of all the athletes' jumps were not released until after the competition. It was at the very end of the competition Peter discovered he had lost by a very slim margin to the American athlete. Silver would be the medal he would take home. Later that day, when the medals were being distributed, Peter stood on the second place podium. As the American flag rose up the flagpole into the sky, Peter saw on the silver medal flagpole that the Union Jack was rising. He began to shed a tear as he saw the flag of his people's oppression lift into the sky on his behalf. When it reached the top, Peter was visibly upset. Then the world saw its first political protest at a sporting event. Peter, the jumper, ran to the centre of the field where the flagpoles stood. He quickly scaled the pole and ripped the Union Jack off of it. As he clung onto the top of the pole, he took from his tracksuit bottoms a green cloth. This wasn't just any old green cloth. This was a green flag with a golden harp on it and the words Erin Gobra written across it. 
Ireland Forever. He held it high above the pole as the anthems played. At the base of the pole was a lone Irishman, Con Leahy. He stood and fought with the security guards trying to get Peter down from the pole. When he was becoming overrun with security who were now joined by the British Olympic Council, he saw in the distance a group of Irish-American athletes run to his aid. The Irishmen from the old country and new found themselves side by side in a brawl protecting their flag. Peter retired shortly after the games, but not before he took home gold in the triple jump just two days after the flag incident. He went on to be a judge at later Olympics and founded the Waterford Athletic Club. He also qualified as a solicitor. In November 1957, Peter died, leaving behind a proud wife and nine very proud children. The music for this episode was written, performed and produced by myself, Ryan O'Halloran. The story was researched and scripted by Oren. If you want to help support this podcast, you can buy us a coffee at www.buymeacoffee.com forward slash we the Irish or leave us a review on your podcast app. Ryan is Anandum, Gurv Mahakut, Slananish.